Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Gaming Podcast. Once again, I'm Bradley and I'm joined by someone who once had a thought that if Bradley couldn't see and he starred in a film, who would he get to play him? The film's already been made. It's Al Pacino in Scent of a Woman, but playing his part from any given Sunday and never shutting up and shouting really, really loudly. That is a nightmare for Stu. So, you know, how you doing, Stu? Well, I was expecting a, a little intro related to Nightmare on Elm Street, so that threw me a little bit. But Yeah, I forgot it a bit. <laughs> I forgot what it was going to be, and I kind of thought this one up earlier when I was um, having that sight issues. <laughs> I quite like it. I quite like it. Yeah, I mean, it is a nightmare, but you know, me <laughs> going for Al Pacino. Yeah, as long as you just go hoo-ha every now and again, <laughs> I'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. And I've got to raise my voice. There you go. Cockney Pacino. Oh, there we go. That's a, that's, he can play Cockney Miyamoto. Yeah. Jeez, it's going to be, yeah. Uh, it's a film even David Lynch will look at and just go, oh. <laughs> Too weird. Too weird yeah. for me. I'm out. Talking to David Lynch, he once made a PlayStation 2. PlayStation 2? Advert? I'm yeah. going to say PlayStation 2. But yeah. he makes films and he got involved with games in some way, which is going to segue us nicely to what games have you been playing, Stu? Yeah, for David Lynch to have done that, they really must have parked the money truck outside his house. Because, you know, why? But I enjoyed that advert 20 years ago or wherever it was now. Uh, but... Other, yeah, in the intervening 20 years or so, I've been playing games. And the most recent game, segue, is Guilty Gear Strive, mm. which I've not played a massive amount of, but I was desperate to get, like, from the off. Because A, I've always liked the games that I've played in the series, and B, it's, it's just one of the most beautiful games that's ever been made, in my opinion. Obviously, you've got to have a leaning towards liking that anime style. But if you do, it just looks amazing. I mean, they've even done it so the frames of the the characters and the animation on the characters is sort of interpolated so that it looks like it's not like completely smooth. It looks like animation. It, it looks like traditional animation. But, you, you know, you're doing that and you're fighting and playing and it looks fantastic. But it takes that 2D aesthetic and then just flips it right round and does full 3D camera moves. So it's kind of like the best of both worlds. It's like, yeah, Capcom abandoned having 2D sprites, and they've got this new thing, which is clearly just 3D. Mm. But, you know, it's got it. Guilty Gear's got its cake and eaten it too, because it's got this incredible engine that just looks phenomenal. But there you go. Yeah. And it- you also hit stuff, so good. Yeah, no, it's uh, one of the things that always struck me about the Guilty Gear games is, do you know sometimes when you hear, oh, it's like the graphics are so good, it's like playing Toy Story, it's that good or something like that. Yeah. Um, Guilty Gear is the one game where you look at it and just go, that's like playing an actual anime or an actual cartoon. It's just, you, you don't, when you look at it, it doesn't look like it's being controlled by people. It looks like it's been completely animated and that's the animation. Yeah, been scripted and everything. It just looks so good. The one thing I am disappointed with Guilty Gear Strive, though, is it's pronounceable. Yes. Yeah. Because what's that with, like, Xerd or Zerd or... <laughs> Threerd or whatever, Tenard? yeah. Tenard, is it? <laughs> God I, I knows. Don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm to look at it just go, Guilty Gear, that one. Yeah. No one knows, Brad. Don't worry about it, honestly. 
No, yeah. you turn up to the fight to the fighting tournament. So they go, "What are you playing?" They go, "Who? How'd you pronounce that one? Write it down. Just hold up a little placard with the name on it because it's just yeah, that's all it's worth I might, doing. I might, if I ever have another child, I might name it after the Guilty Gear series. Oh no, don't do that. Don't don't do an Elon Musk on us. I'd have more respect if he named his children after Guilty Gear games. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but how, how, before we go way too far, how does it actually play, though, you know, in terms of... Because I've always found Guilty Gear, it's a weird one where it's easy to play, but you really have to go deep to get the most out of it, I found. Yeah, I, I don't think I've ever kind of mastered it. And I got... Um, I bought it on the Dreamcast, which is... I think that was the very first release. Uh, uh, it came out on the PlayStation as well, but I think it was like slightly different and cut down and came out after. But the Dreamcast one I imported and uh, I hadn't even seen like the graphics. I just yeah. heard that it was a good game. And so I was kind of blown away by that. And I'd love to go back to it and just see if it still holds up. But I don't think ever since that time 20 years ago that I've... It got any better at it whatsoever, but I still have a load of fun just, you know, mashing the buttons and, yeah, going a bit nuts. Uh, yeah, I'm glad it allows that. It's, it's a weirdly accessible game that shouldn't be accessible. Um, yeah. It feels like it's geared towards... Um, it feels hey. like it's geared towards professional tournament fighters and, and people like that, but... The fact is that anyone can pick it up and play it in single player and just button mash to a degree and get something from it is it's something that lacks in certain other fighting games. Um, I think like Street Fighter's lost that since Street Fighter 2 um, because I remember playing Street Fighter 2 Turbo Edition um, and it was just you and a couple of people you knew and you thought you was half decent at it and then you realised you wasn't when you went into the big wide world and online play started. Yeah. But then later versions of Street Fighter got to the point where it was such a high level to even get going into it that I it just turned me right off. Whereas Guilty Gear... It feels more like a like a, a virtual fighter in a way, or a Tekken where you can just pick it up and play, or even Mortal Kombat. Probably not as easy to go into as Mortal Kombat, but yeah, the Guilty Gear games, you can get enough out of it. And if you do want to learn, I actually think over the years it's had some of the best tutorials in it as well. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think it doesn't have. I think it has quite high damage, which is good. I mean, it sounds like it shouldn't be. But um, like that Samurai Showdown game that I reviewed not long ago for the site, well, a few months back, it has high damage. And I think that in single player, that's really good because having low damage is normally one of those things that games with tons of combos and over-the-top combos leans into. And that is only good for people who are you know, really professional, really good at it because to get a win out of it, you have to be able to string together like 20 hits or whatever, and that's not good for the the schlubs like me who can barely string you know a two hit combo together. So yeah, you you want it to be good high damage output, be a bit cagey, and then when you do strike, it does a lot of a lot of damage, and that's what you want because then it's more about your timing and your thought than it is about your you know the absolute utter skill <laughs> that you need. Yeah, I mean, I I like a fighting game, and Guilty Gear does this as well as Mortal Kombat, where 
Give me my basic inputs, which is my high punch, low punch, high kick, low kick, or strong punch, or, or whatever you decide to do with those mechanics. And if you can still get some damage in by going sort of like jab, jab, kick, and get some damage in, and you've got the basic combo, so your your back forwards button, your down try uh, down diagonal right buttons and, uh, and stuff like that along with with something and you can get those combos in you, you've got a game that allows that and allows you to progress doing that that encourages me more to want to learn the longer combos because at least i know if i mess those up i can still go back to those whereas street fighter i felt that if i didn't know the longer combos i had no chance yeah it definitely ended up that way i think mm. I still enjoy them, but, you know, I'm no good at them. <laughs> but, no. yeah, yeah, so good game. Good game to have. We'll have a tournament. I'm sure, I'm sure we can do that. We'll have a tournament and see who's the worst fighter. <laughs> Pronunciation tournament. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the loser has to get, has to pronounce all the Guilty Gear games. That's too much of a challenge for me. I mean, there's going to be an update to Strive that's going to make it sound ridiculous as well at some oh, point. Oh, God, yeah. So. Oh, yeah. It'll just be a random set of... You know, Roman numerals and letters, just like the, the previous one was. And incorrect punctuation. Do you reckon they looked at um, the near replicant remake with all the numbers after it and the, the makers of Guilty Gear went, ooh, that's an idea. We could do that, <laughs> but with letters. It does seem to have crossed over from, from that. And anime, anime is terrible for it, isn't it? Yeah, there, there's a, I know there's a game that actually has like syntax in the actual name of the title, it's like a visual novel type platformer type thing or whatever it is. It has like syntax, code syntax in the name of the game. And it's, yeah, I'm, we're running out of ideas for names. So people yeah. are just going for it. Yeah, I'm out. <laughs> definitely. Yeah. yeah, definitely. But no, I'm glad, I'm glad it's good. I must jump into that and give it a try at some point. So my first game, I'm going to bring up my notes is Phantom Abyss, which is a bit of a darling amongst all the uh, podcasts and YouTubers and the indie scene at the moment. Okay. And what you've got here, the, the best way I can describe this is it's the best bits of Mirror's Edge crossed with Indiana Jones. Ooh. So, yeah, you say that. It is a roguelike. Yeah. I know. But not a roguelike like other roguelikes um so essentially what you've got here is this online stroke off it's an online game but it's, it's, i think they call it asynchronous now but whatever it is but you're going against the rest of the world so you get these randomly generated levels and the whole world shares them and then everyone has a run at these levels and only one person in the world can complete it once they've completed that level that's been generated and, and captured the relic within the level, it resets and randomly generates more rooms and things like that, and everyone goes at that one. And you get to see the ghosts of all the other players that are playing it. And it's a, it's a really interesting concept. And, yeah, it's, I mean, the Indiana Jones thing really only comes in because you're, like, you're in these temples and you basically you run through, you complete a floor, you go to the next floor, you complete that floor, you go to the next floor, you complete that floor, you get your relic. Oh, you don't, in my case. I've not completed a single proper run. Yeah. But what this has to it, and the reason I, I talk about the best bits of Mirror's Edge, the worst bits of Mirror's Edge were the combat. Um, the best bits were the free running. So it's got that really good feeling of inertia. Um, I think more recently, Ghost Runner probably is the closest you'll come to that. Um, oh, yes, yeah. Yeah. 
One of my favourites. Yeah, it's kind of got that feeling of inertia. But what you do get in this as well, and you kind of almost got this spelunky type thing going on, where you start off and you've got the whip, which helps you move around the levels really well. Again, again, maybe some Indiana Jones influence there. But you can get other buffs and perks and things like that that can help you get through the levels. And they're not the same for everyone. So you might get different perks to someone else. And there's some difficulty pickups in there, I think. I don't know if they're meant to make it more difficult or whether it is just, um, or whether I just got unlucky with a couple of my pickups. But it's satisfyingly challenging. I'm not playing it, it despite never ha- having actually won around yet, so to speak. I'm not getting frustrated with it. It's like it's it's satisfyingly challenging. A bit like Spelunky, where I've, you know, it took me many years to actually get to the end of Spelunky, or you know, I've never actually completed a daily run on that properly. It's that kind of thing. I'm happy to go in once or twice a day, fail miserably, and go back again. But it's like this first person thing. These seems to be these parkour first person things seem to be really popular at the moment. But oh yeah, it's absolutely outstanding. Um, I didn't think I was going to enjoy it, but yeah, it's it got its hooks in. Oh, very cool. What what are the graphics like, and what's the graphical style? So it is 3D. It's very hard to describe. It's not low quality, but it's not at the same time like these wonderfully realized worlds. You're in like these dark. Aztec style chambers in a way so it's dark but it looks the part it, it looks not quite lo-fi I wouldn't say it's like that kind of era but it's not like sort of like really pushing the graphical boundaries I would say you're probably looking at a polished PS3 era type thing but it works yeah yeah cool what was it called sorry Phantom of Phantom Abyss oh Phantom Abyss right okay. yes it's it's yes yeah absolutely outstanding cannot recommend it enough and it's it's a rogue unlike yeah yeah i suppose <laughs> i mean it's rogue like in in the way that tetris is a rogue like that's probably the way i would describe it <laughs> fair enough um so your next one well that's it i've i've not really touched anything this week to be quite honest with you yeah no just that's the only that's the only thing other than carrying on with a a bit of uh, Captain Toad mushroom head. Yes, that is, I do like Captain Toad. I wish I had a chance. I wish I had completed it my first time around. But yeah, it's um, such a cracking game. It looks lovely. And I want to see him do more with that down the line. I hope so. I hope they revisit it in the future. Yeah. I don't know. I've got actually, because I've still got to play 3D World. I need to actually check to see if the, um, the Toad levels are in the uh, remake of 3D World or the remaster. I would have thought, well... I would hope so. <laughs> I mean, it's Nintendo, so who knows? But I'll have, to, I'll have to check that out. Yeah, yeah, cool. What was your next one? So my next one I've been playing is called The Fermi Paradox. But I had to double-check the label because I kept calling it The Fermi Paradox, and it's not The Fermi Paradox, it's The Fermi Paradox. Cool. And I'm playing, this is the thing with indie games. <laughs> you can't just go, oh, this game is just like that game, because the, the, we're hitting a point nowadays where... Creators, they're not held back by any limitations anymore. They can just go for it because there's a market for them now, whatever they decide to do. And the Fermi Paradox is a text-based adventure management god game. Whoa. If I was in a god game now, I would shut my daughter up. But unfortunately, people have to put up with her screaming. Um, <laughs> but yeah, what? it's really interesting the Furby paradox it's like it's a text-based adventure so if you remember the old text-based adventure games where 
you was very limited in what you could type to get him to do things. Um, so, yeah. you know, you're sitting there on your BBC Micro at school playing whatever text adventure game you've been playing and you go, pull down your pants. And the game goes, oh, what are you saying? Try again. Um, and they felt very limited. So all I can say really about Fairy Paradox is it's as though someone played FTL and went, right, I don't actually like the gameplay bits of FTL. What I actually like is the story decisions in between the gameplay bits and when I made a game out of that. So you kind of get given these scenarios that you start with and you will go, um, I'm trying to think the best way to explain it. You might get this whole bunch of flavor text that comes in. You've got to make these choices of, oh, what do I want this civilization to do? And you might say like this one civilization, um, put everything you've got into learning technology. I want you to be a spacefaring civilization. I want you to go and find new planets and stuff like that. But you've got other civilizations that might be starting on other planets and you might go, actually, no, I want you guys. I don't want you going out into space. I want to hold you back. Um, and you've got all these choices that you make. And one scenario I had was I, I created it. Like, I kind of allowed these two civilizations to really sort of like push it, like to push their own technical, technological advances. And oh, one of the planets that had the uh the space crew went off to venture into space for the first time but during their their takeoff and when they went into space another civilization advanced so far but they wasn't a pleasant civilization and went and blew up the planet so i had this these guys in this spaceship had left this civilization but they then became the only ones left and we're trying to then find another planet to go to or, you know, another civilization they could become part of. And it kind of went from there. And it's like each time you play, I played it through like three times like already. And I don't know if this is early access. I, I, I'd need to double check or whether it's actually a full release yet. But you feel like these choices matter in the game. And... It's just, yeah, I've, I've, I don't think I've played, like three times I've played it and everyone's been different. It feels so natural. But what you've got, um, I, I remember talking about a game um, last year, I think it was, might even been 2019, called In Other Waters, where uh, the entire game was played on almost like this um, interface rather than actual graphics of like exploring. But you kind of made up in your head what was going on. And the, the, the words, the storytelling within the Fermi Paradox is so good that you can't, you do, you get these images in your head of what's going on and you kind of fill in the gaps. And I say, but the fact that, you know, I accidentally lost, I, I love one, I accidentally led everyone into this cross-galaxy war as well. It's just very hard to describe and go, That's what, but it's just so good. It really is so, so good. Um, and it could well be one of those surprise inclusions later on as people get to hear more about where you're talking about this in game of the year because it is honestly it's what it does is spectacular yeah i mean i kind of don't understand how it how it works how do you interact with it so what are the inputs on the control pad or the keyboard or um right so basically you get given choices so do you know how i mean if you played like ftl or things like that where no. you kind of mm. or slay the spire no you've not played slay the spire mm, no but, I, I am the wrong audience. <laughs> no, no. So basically what happened, you'll play like in those, basically you play your game, you kind of go, oh, look, you've come up to these people and, oh, what do you want to do? Do you want to do this, this or this? You make a choice and it goes, ah, 
they're actually going to kill you and then you branch off onto that story and something happens basically but they're kind of like just individual scenarios they don't actually have a long-term effect on the story but in the fermi paradox it kind of gives you those same sort of options to do things and you kind of click on the one you want to use and then it, it it actually matters it kind of feeds into what happens next but it's all kind of like a multiple choice type thing rather than text typing adventures and my first initial reaction was i'd rather could i type stuff and do it but it works as it is and it works really really well uh, i say it's, it's such a hard game to say to someone watch it and see how it goes and see what you can get from it or listening to me going, oh, it's good, and going, oh, yeah, I get it. You've got to play it to understand it. I implore everyone to give this one a go, especially if you're somebody who grew up in the 80s um, and played you know, the, the BBC micro-based text adventures because they gave you a sense of being there without ever having been, and this just takes it to a whole new level. Fair play. Yeah, well, if there's a demo, I'll, I'll get it and stick it on and uh, feedback on what I think. Mm. And... Yeah, there's a theme as well going on because I, I did destroy a civilization, um, but it wasn't Earth. So I thought, do you know what? Earth's going to hell in a handcart, isn't it? So why not destroy all humans? And why not? Yeah. I even segued nicely. I know. So I, I've been playing the remaster. Re- uh, right, so I don't know if it's a remake or a remaster this, uh, but I've been playing the recently updated version of Destroy All Humans on Nintendo Switch. And all I can really say is with, with Destroy All Humans, I, I got this in 2005 as a bit of a treat when I first started work, when I moved, and I didn't like it. I kind of saw it in a magazine. I was like, oh, yeah, this looks really good. I really can't wait to play it and played it. And I was like, ah. Oh don't like it don't know what they maybe think i oh, do you know what i'm gonna try and play it again however i've matured in those what 15 16 years and i've played the update and i don't know if it's got good quality of life updates but if it has it's worked so essentially what you've got with destroy all humans is you take the role of this alien whose other clone has been captured in area like an area 51 type scenario. It's like full B-movie schlock about it. And basically you need to try and get him back, but you also need to harvest the DNA of humans because every time you clone an alien, your DNA is getting like sort of like lost and you know eventually your your alien species will be wiped out so that's the general premise of it it's got some social political commentary on it but you can ignore all that um but basically you go in as this alien you need to harvest human dna not get captured and try to find your friend or previous clone um, you've got this on foot sections um, where you do a lot of stuff with ray guns and other bits you can earn. You've got these bits where you're, you're flying saucer and you just go hell for never destroying anything in your path, which is great. But what you've also got is these almost Hitman-esque sections where you have to don these disguises of humans. And you've got to be quite clever with these where if you don a disguise, you've got to make sure you, you, you get someone when no one else is looking. So there's a bit of stealth in there. Um, and you have to continually harvest DNA to keep yourself, like the powers to keep the human suit on yeah. in a way. And so you've got that to it. And what I found was I actually enjoyed it a lot more when I approached it almost with like this, um, oh, now I get it because I've played Hitman type feel. I enjoyed it a lot more, but the game has one major problem. And that is 
it gets in the way of itself. The first hour to two hours of that game is so much hand-holding and tutorial-based stuff and leading you down this story and stop-start and everything like that. It just wasn't enjoyable to start with. But as soon as it kind of lets you go, great fun. Absolutely great fun. Let's say, like, say with the Hitman games, when you kind of get the chance just to go back and retry levels and try and do them in different ways, it becomes much more enjoyable than like, like the first run through of any of the Hitman games. And I kind of looked at it and just went, right, I've enjoyed it, but this would have been better as giving you X amount of sandbox levels with high score based mechanics or something like that where you get points based on what destruction you do or what you've managed to harvest and stuff like that, rather than this story-based way through it. And I get that this is a remake, this is a remaster stroke remake and not a reimagining, but I'd like to see them take what they've done with the remaster and maybe do something adjacent to it with something going forward, because it's a really interesting game that I enjoyed, just didn't love. Yeah. I, it never really leapt out of me as anything. I mean, I haven't played it, but it, it, it never leapt out as one that was an absolute essential. And it was one of those that when it got a remaster, I was kind of like, okay, why? why? But, yeah. You know. <laughs> but yeah, no, it sounds like it's you know reasonably fun. It sounds like a solid six out of 10, yeah. kind of fine to pass the time kind of a game, really. And that's exactly what it is. If it wasn't for the, the, the hand-holding early on, this could be perfect as I pick it up. You've got half hour to spare. Blast through a sandbox level. Get a high score. Put it down. Do the same in a couple of weeks. It would have been perfect for that. Um, but yeah, as it is, it, 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 I want to see him do something else. I want to see more of this. It's maybe want more. Uh, but if that's what it was designed to do, this remake, then I think it's hit the right mark because it's definitely a lot better than I remember the 2005 release ever being. Cool. Yeah, no, it's good that they've done that. Like you say, it could be a, a springboard for something more and something better. Yeah. Oh, definitely, definitely. Um, but yeah, interesting. It's, you know, three really different games I've played this week. And yeah, each of them have got their, their, their hugely pros. Um, and I don't usually say this. I don't usually do a game of the week. But check out the Fermi Paradox. It's just so different. It's just so different to anything I've ever played before, really, that it's just, yeah, it's wonderful. Nice. Cool. So just moving on, we'll keep this one fairly short because otherwise it risks turning into uh, um, a rant about society and government and stuff like that. But one of the things that's affected a lot of people recently is the in the UK, as of what what date are we recording? Seventh of July. We're a couple of weeks away from all rules being completely relaxed in the UK. And I keep hearing people, whether it's like on TV, on the radio, or even sort of like in the street, talking about, oh, we've got to do this for people's mental health. But no one can actually seem to say what that is, what the mental health benefits are. No one seems to be using the same argument when it comes to actually, I want us to extend what we're doing. I want us to protect us further because of my mental health. I'm so I, I'm scared of what's coming. 
Um, I, I'm scared of what's coming, and that that affects my mental health in terms of going out and things like that. But also, if I can't, I can't just lock myself away because what you know that's going to make me look in the wrong or whatever. So it, it has those effects. Um, and it got me to thinking: people will bandy around the term mental health as what feels like a get out of jail free card with an argument. Because you almost get as soon as someone says, ah, oh, but my mental health, or, oh, but it's for the benefit of someone's mental health. It's very hard to argue that without sounding like a complete arsehole. And I've noticed something's crawling in more and more. Uh, is that something you've noticed, or is it just something I'm making up in my head? <laughs> no, it's, I don't think it's something you're making up in your head at all, no. It, it can be, it can unfortunately be weaponized. And again, it's like it's the it's the small minority ruin it for the for the rest of us. Yeah. When it comes to to misappropriating that, like uh, people who don't have hidden issues, who are wearing the sunflower lanyards, you know, uh, to denote that they've got an issue that means they can't wear a a mask. But you know, there's a handful of people who are just buying them and using them, even though they. They don't have that, which cheapens it and, you know, undermines it for the people who have genuine problems. Yeah. And, the, yeah, I think there are some people who do that. And I think it is, you know, I mean, it's very difficult to have this conversation without getting into the whole political debate. It definitely kind of feels to me personally as though, you know, people want their independence. They've been conditioned by society to, well to be told there isn't really a society yeah. that that we're all individuals living our individual lives and we all have our individual rights and you know that we don't work towards a greater goal anymore that we we kind of the way that we succeed is by operating for ourselves and obviously you know I don't believe that that works for everybody or it's the case for everybody but I think that's what the people who've been in power for at least sort of 10 or 15 years want because it's, you know, it's a bit of an easy divide and conquer when you do that. And I think that those people are, are the ones who are the first to shout out about their rights and about, you know, oh, it's damaging my mental health when they perhaps mean I'm unhappy. Yeah. <laughs> Which is, you know, a very distinct and different thing. They There's overlap between the two. But being, you know, upset and being unhappy and being, you know, feeling like, that you're you know you're afraid because of the pandemic those are all very different things from depression and mental ill health yeah now they can they can bring those things on but they're not the same thing and they need to be treated as separate and i think that unfortunately what you have to do or what you should do as a society is to first off treat the infection you know you've got to treat the the cause you've got to get rid of the pandemic yeah you know, as much as you possibly can first and then you deal with the fallout you know it's 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 a classic to lean on my kind of it training it's a classic incident versus problem scenario so yeah you know it a dam bursts you don't stand around going oh god how did that happen where did the war break how did the water get through why was the pressure suddenly increased while well, there's water running through the streets and sweeping babies along to their death you know you, going, yeah you just got to learn to live with the flood the flood just learn yeah. to live with it learn yeah, yeah, to yeah. live with the plague that's right yeah so you don't you know you, you deal with the incident you save the people without even thinking about what is going yeah. on and, and then go what caused it 
Yeah, afterwards. and then yeah, exactly, and then go at the end of it. Or, you know, when you're a bit further along than we are, yeah, you go, okay, well, the fallout from this is terrible mental ill health in some people, so we'll have to help. But what you can't do is pretend that it doesn't exist, just so that you can try and continue the life that you had before this happened, because you know that didn't work for you know the Second World War, and it's not going to work now. No. No, and it's um, one thing you mentioned actually, and it, that that just really struck a chord with me. And the way I think mental health is being misrepresented in the media, especially, but also sort of like a lot of public people, is you mentioned about people are confusing poor mental health with just being unhappy at the moment and miserable at the moment because of a, a, a situation, because. One of the biggest misconceptions is that you can't be happy but also depressed at the same time, which yeah. 100% can be. Yeah. Um, yeah. You can be entirely happy but still suffer with depression and other mental health issues. But, yeah, it's um, one of the things you see is people going, oh, I, you know, I, I can't, you know, I'm fed up with being indoors or not being able to go out. and It's really affecting my mental health. It's making me unhappy. That That's not the same thing. And, one of the things me and Lowe t- spoke about when they was talking about the delay to um, from June, whatever it was, to July 19th, one of the things we spoke about is what actually are they delaying? I get that you've got, you know, some venues can't open fully, but we are pretty much back to a world where you can go out. You can do a lot of the things you was doing before, with mask and social distancing on. Um, so what's a lot of it's back to how it should be anyway, just with a few extra precautions. And one of the things I always got was I get that some businesses are struggling. So like you've got sort of like people can't go to concerts or couldn't go to concerts um, or full concerts. You couldn't get full football stadiums and stuff like that. And I get that to a degree, but there's got to be other ways around it rather than just going, ah, do you know what? Everyone back in, everyone back in. It's absolutely fine. There's got to be other answers to it because I, I, I can't wait to go back to the football again. But the idea of going back right now to a full capacity Anfield fills me with dread. I, I, I wouldn't want to do it. Whereas a 50% capacity, 75% capacity where there's some form of social distancing. Yes. Or where it's at capacity, but you've got to wear a mask. Sure. But this idea of just going, ah, sod it. That, that, that terrifies me. That fills me with a lot of anxiety. And I think, I, I, I'm hearing more and more people, I mean, whether it's just in my bubble, that are feeling those same anxieties. That, 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 that's an actual anxiety. People who have had anxiety, um, who have flirted with the idea of, oh, we can do better we've shown we can do better we can allow home learning or home working we haven't got to do it full-time but it gives us options we don't need to test children at the end of you know five years at, at senior school and put them under undue pressure we're learning that people react differently in different ways some for the good some for the better but we seem to now be overtaken by, oh, I've been a bit unhappy during this time because I've not been able to go and see my aunt Flo at the concert. And that that's depressing. That's really depressing. It fills me with even more anxiety. But I can't 
not that I want to argue because I never want to say that someone who is unhappy couldn't be suffering with mental health issues. But you can really tell when people are using it as a, a get out of jail card or as a way of going, now don't argue with me because I've said mental health. And yeah, it's really frustrating and it's having a really weird impact on sort of like the way I'm thinking about other people with mental health because I've, I've now got this thing where I'm going, have you really though? And I feel really bad for questioning that as well. Yeah, wow. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack there. Sorry, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> I'll try and do my best. So first off... Sorry, right. I, <laughs> I totally agree that uh, depression is, is not a mood disorder, so you can be happy and depressed. Yeah. And I think that people find that to be a paradox along the lines of your Fermi paradox you were talking about yeah. before. But it's not paradoxical. Think about it like if you break your leg. So if you break your leg you don't stop wanting to walk. You don't stop wanting to be the person that you were. It's just when you put your weight on that leg, it hurts. And it's the same with, uh, you know, in a similar way with mental, mental ill health, in that you don't want to be any different and you don't want things to change. It's just when you put your metaphorical foot down to do something, you can't do it. And it is, it is exactly the same as part of you inside that is that is ill or broken and needs to mend either on its own or over time or with intervention, exactly like it would in, in the regular mental, in the regular physical world of health. So yeah, you're completely right on that. Um, in terms of people going on about, um, you know, why, why do we have to do it all on one day? Why is it this big thing? That's very simple to me. That's because the government wants to have a win. They just want to put a win in the column as like we've beaten a disease, just like they would like we've beaten such and such a country in the war. Yeah. You know, and I think that it's one of those things is a very obvious tactic of the right where they like to have an extremely simplified narrative, black and white, right and wrong, no shade of gray. And it just helps to have a really basic story that they can trot out. And they are, you could see them rubbing their hands with glee, the Tories, the little piggy little hands, when Freedom Day became a thing. Because oh. they were like, oh, we can latch onto that. Yeah. Just like they latched onto the term Brexit, because it's great PR for them. It's great marketing. Being able to go Brexit and just slap it down on the table and be able to do the same with Freedom Day. And they can just be like, there you go, we've won. And this is, isn't even as much to do with appeasing their backers as it was when the, when the pandemic started and they were still trying to get people to spend money. This is much more about winning the public vote as a set of kind of grasping little trolls at the very top of our society, uh, you know, wanting to stay in power when the whole world is falling to bits, you know, at which it is. So, you know, there's that, which is bad. And... I think that coming on to the final bit to talk about people weaponizing and misusing mental ill health, you know, uh, during this conversation, I think it's because it's another easy narrative and an easy shortcut for some people. I don't think many people abuse it. Uh, I think that they latch onto it and use it uh, in a way that, like you say, because they don't really understand the nuances it's very easy for them to do that when really all they mean is I'm afraid. Yeah. 
I'm afraid I want something to, you know, I want this to stop. And I understand that because it's a human urge, but it also can't just be, that's why we have people in charge. That's why we're supposed to have people in charge who are responsible because you can't leave it to a mass, to a populace, to decide what's good for them because they will mess it up. You know, it needs to be controlled. It needs to be formed into a culture. And then, you know, you're then proponents of and a part of that culture. And it, yeah, no, I think it's, uh, it, it's, it's part of a culture war as well. And, you know, just the last point is for me is, you know, it's like Juneteenth. So there's this big thing, oh, slavery was beaten in America on this day, blah, blah, blah. And the black community quite rightly said, well, no, because, you know, the, the, you know I don't know the details that well, but it's like the seceded states and the South carried on slavery for months and months, if not years after. And really, you know, this particular date is the actual time when da, 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 da. And it actually was the time when slavery was finally abolished. And it took decades to recognize that because people just want the simple narrative and not the truth yeah uh and i think we're in the middle of suffering for that a hell of a lot at the moment and there you go run over that was a big one yeah no and it's again it's why you get the arguments of people latching on to protect our statues and things like that rather than having the wider discussion no one's erasing history um, it's, it's yeah, actually bringing yeah. the discussion forward more than anything. But yeah, what what really struck me today, and it's one that really um, wasn't expecting it today, and it kind of made me think uh, a little bit. A guy got onto the bus today, wasn't wearing a mask, and he kind of looked at people. A few people were giving him dirty looks. I only know that because he was saying, "Are oh, people are looking at me funny?" Um, and he kind of sat down and went, "Do I need to wear a mask?" And someone turned around, his mate turned around, and he goes, oh, yeah, he's not, not the 19th yet. And this guy, in a typical sort of like Essex, I don't want to say right-wing style, but okay, we, we, we'll go for it. A typical Essex right-wing style win. Yeah, but, you know, it's close enough. What difference does two weeks make? And I was like, do you know what? Yeah, you're not wrong. It's not as if a virus or a pandemic is going, oh, June 19th. Okay, right. We sorted it. We're going to stop being a pandemic on June 19th. Off you go. He's right. What difference does two weeks yeah. make? Yeah. If, you know, they've set a date. It's, it's Totally arbitrary. Completely yeah. arbitrary. I, he yeah. was doing it in a proper sort of like, I'm an arsehole kind of way, but I kind of got the point. Um, and it's just like, yeah, I don't know. I, I, we're going to hit this Freedom Day on June the 19th. And then Christ knows what's going to go on. They're like they're removing bubbles from schools, and I can only go on first-hand experience that my son's school has been good with cases in terms of they've not had to shut down or overall send anyone like in massive groups home. But they had an outbreak that affected Year Ten, and basically they was able to say right Year Ten, everyone in Year Ten, you need a week off self-isolation. And that was it. The rest of the school could carry on because they had bubbles, which worked. Everyone's back in school, which is fine. And they're keeping to their bubbles, which is allowing them to isolate smaller groups when needed. And everyone's celebrating this idea of getting rid of this. And I don't get it. I don't, don't get how we're going. Let's stop this thing that's working. Yeah, I know. Yeah. And it's just like really confusing me. And it's, and that's the thing that worries me everyone has just gone 
I say everyone, I hate using everyone because it's not everyone. But enough have turned around now and gone, right, June 19th, I'm losing my mask, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. And I'm worried about the reaction I'm going to get when I'm still wearing a mask. Um, especially as I've bought one mm. now that's got a non-binary flag on it as well. So, you know, I'm just going to make myself a double <laughs> target. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, no, it's it's scary times. You know, I, I, I don't want to kind of just go off on a rant on it although it's very very tempting to uh another rant i mean because i've already been on one but it is kind of yeah you would think you know my way of, of thinking about how it would be closed off would be oh you know kind of like it's everything starts ramping down and and people are generally healthier and people are less vulnerable and the vaccinations have gone up and it's at a low controlled level there's no odd variant knocking about and then like after a few tacit weeks or months of people understanding that oh yeah it's pretty pretty much under control as it can be then a, the government go right yeah okay we're back to normal this is the back to normal date and this is when we decriminalize decriminalize these sorts of activities that we criminalized and everyone would be like yeah well you know we know that it's been like that for months but this is the formal day and there's this confidence you know that it's kind of all done but this isn't that this is kind of with setting an arbitrary date it's happening just go with it and it's kind of like yeah but if you look at all the stats it's now seeping you know it's the delta variant it's getting into the younger people okay they're not dying but that means they younger people who haven't been vaccinated then amplify it yeah and they amplify the de delta variant through the older people who've had vaccinations and because it's so much uh, it's more transmissible then even if you're vaccinated you've got more chance of it get people getting it because it's the younger people who are managing to stay up on their feet you know because they're young and healthy and it's kind of like you only have to look at this this in you know this data for five minutes to kind of understand this so what's the motivation you know who's getting paid for you know for this uh so yeah it's it's very very disturbing to me it's all to protect the ghouls and the rich that's all i'm gonna say on that otherwise i will go on and on and on about that one yeah it's sad um and let's say it's helped me actually just like ranting a bit about it i mean if i did have to think please if you've ever just dropped the word mental health to support an argument don't do that please don't do that it really yeah. does not help things and it, it help it, it loses the impact of what talking about mental health actually is i'm hoping that's something we've never done or never encouraged you know on the podcast or the website we've always been open about it but if you've ever done it don't i don't think many have but there's a more and more starting to and just yeah that's all i can say don't 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 do that yeah, I think it's it's an important message. Don't abuse those, uh, don't abuse that terminology, and and use the right terminology. You know, and just be honest as well. I would add. I mean, you don't have to agree with me, but I would say, you know, just be honest about your feelings. And if you feel that you're afraid, then say that you're afraid of things. I, I'm happy to say that I'm afraid of the situation. Yeah. You know, it doesn't unman me. It doesn't make me any less of a person or any less of a you know, an ordinary human being to admit to fear. And I am afraid. I'm afraid of getting it. I'm afraid for myself, you know, like there's the cowering little child inside of me. 
that's afraid of getting a nasty disease. But there's an even bigger part that's afraid of my my wife getting it or my elderly mum getting it. You know, it's yeah. it's just I'm afraid of those things. And yeah, so don't don't abuse the terminology and don't pretend that it's something that it isn't. Yeah, no, totally agree, and I don't think I can add anything of substance to that. So, yeah, with that, unlike Al Pacino, I'm going to slowly step away, keep quiet, and let you take us, take us out. Who and indeed ha. Uh, so, yes, as usual, if you've liked our content today, which, you know, it was a lot, it was heavy, um, hopefully you agreed with it. If you disagreed with it, feel free to shout at us, you know, just get in touch, communicate. Having conversations about these things is the only way, really, to progress. I like to keep my mind open. I'm really willing to be challenged on stuff. Bradley isn't. He's he's a very close-minded individual. Mental health, don't argue with me. <laughs> so don't approach him. Yeah, <laughs> it, it's, it's very much a good cop, bad cop situation, you know. So uh, yeah. it's not it's not don't approach me. It's just if you try and have a discussion with me, you won't get a word in edgeways, will you, Stu? <laughs> Shall I try speaking? Now? I'm not going to follow it up. Don't worry. <laughs> I was just waiting for you to pounce. But um, honestly, yeah, so... I promise I won't. <laughs> oh, your daughter joined in as well, and just perfect timing. <laughs> it's a family thing. <laughs> I'm definitely going to shut up now. Go on, Stu. Okay. Um, we're going to leave it there. So. In the meantime, have a great weekend, stay safe and stay safe. Hoo-ah.